Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. Well, last month, we finally moved into our new home here in Cleveland, in Shaker Heights. And the house is charming, and the neighborhood is wonderful, and we're very happy, and I want all of you to know that we hope to be here for a very long time. But as we've started to meet our new neighbors, I have to admit that I've noticed my inner reluctance to share with them what I do for a living. Because quite honestly, in my experience, as soon as some people, especially people around my age, find out that I'm a pastor, they immediately avert their gaze, and I can see their palms getting sweaty, (laughs) and they begin to stumble over their words, searching for the right response, which is usually something like, oh, really? (laughs) That's nice. And in those moments, I can only imagine that they're beginning to make a lot of assumptions about who I am. Sometimes I even get the feeling that they'd really just like to go run and hide. Like I have some sort of superpower to see into their soul and all the bad things they've done in their life, and that I'm beginning to cast judgment on them for every last one of them. Because I think for some people, at least, the assumption is that as a pastor, I am a saint. But here's the thing. I'm not. And so you could say that I walk around uneasy, fearful of being outed as a fraud. When it comes down to it, I guess you could say that what I'm really afraid of is being called a hypocrite. And so I have some empathy for the Israelites in our text from Isaiah 58 this morning because my worst fear is realized. They are outed as hypocrites, by God no less. God says to them, you hypocrites, you fast as if you're a righteous people, but while you're fasting ever so piously, you're ignoring the needs and the rights of others. You treat the people who work for you without dignity or justice, and you treat each other without respect. Let's back up for a moment and ask why were the Israelites fasting in the first place? This final part of the book of Isaiah, sometimes referred to as Third Isaiah, was written during the post-exilic period. This is there's a moment in history when the Israelites have finally just returned to Jerusalem after two or three generations in exile. And in the book of Zechariah, which was written around the same time, we learn that while the Israelites were in exile, they developed a practice of fasting during the fifth month of the Jewish year, each year. It was a fast of mourning that was set at the same time that the temple had been destroyed in Jerusalem, before the exile. So these fasts each year were about lamenting their exile and calling upon God for restoration. 
But now even after some Israelites have begun to return to Jerusalem, they continue this practice of fasting, hoping that God will continue to help them and help them rebuild their city and their temple. Now it's important to understand that even though they're back in Jerusalem, it was a shell of the city that it used to be. The population of Judah before the exile was about 75,000 people. But in those first years, the Israelites were back in Jerusalem. The population was probably about 1% of that, maybe 1,000 people. So their memories of a bustling city full of life may seem like a distant memory as they walk through empty streets and look at the rubble of the once great temple. And as we think about this story today, I, I can't help but see some parallels to the situation of the church today. Our once full pews a little sparser, feeling perhaps in some ways like a shell of the community that we once were. And so like the Israelites fasted, calling upon God for restoration, we too pray that God will bring new life back to our church. And so we should pay close attention to God's response to the Israelites in this text from Isaiah. God says, you want this place to be restored? Then stop being hypocrites. Stop worshiping self-righteously while you fail to live the way I've called you to. Instead, do justice and love mercy. In other words, don't worry so much that your worship is decent and in order. Instead, be sure that your worship reorders your entire lives. And then, finally, God says to them, if you live justly, then when you call, I will answer, here I am. Then this city will be restored. Then people will see that this place is truly a reflection of God's beloved community and they will come back to this place. So what might be God's message for us, the church, today? Recently, there was a major research study published about the perceptions of the church in this country. In one part of the study, Christians who have fallen away from the church were asked, what is your biggest barrier to returning to church, to being part of church again? And the near unanimous top answer across almost all generations, including my generation, millennials, was that the biggest barrier to their participation in a Christian community is Christian hypocrisy. Simply put, the respondents said, Christians are hypocrites. And you know what? They're not wrong. So often we don't practice what we preach. We don't live like Jesus. So how do we treat our acute case of hypocrisy? Well, the obvious prescription for us is basically the same one that the God gives God gives the Israelites in Isaiah 58, stop. Stop acting like hypocrites. Go on ahead with your worship and your prayer and your fasting, but don't let those things be your religion. Instead, let those practices transform your lives so that you live as I have called you to, sharing your food with the hungry, 
housing the homeless and breaking the yokes of injustice in the world. So Fairmounters, siblings in Christ, let's stop being hypocrites and it'll fix the church. Amen. I had you for a second, right? (laughs) If only it were that simple. Try as we might to live more like Jesus, and we should try. If the restoration of the church relied completely on us being less hypocritical in our discipleship, then we'd be in trouble. Because as Paul puts it to the Romans, I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. Fortunately for us, there's another way to think about our hypocrisy problem that calls for a slightly different approach. Another groundbreaking research study, this one from a group of psychologists at Yale University, revealed some surprising findings about what we dislike so much about hypocrites. As it turns out, we actually like some hypocrites and not others. The people in the study reported highly negative views about someone they considered a false signaling hypocrite. In other words, someone who comes off as holier than thou and then turns around and contradicts their behavior with their behavior, their moral standards. On the other hand, people reported in this study generally positive feelings about what the researchers termed honest hypocrites. These are the people who, in the same breath, can express a moral standard or an ideal of justice and also admit that they don't always live up to it. And so the takeaway for those of us who consider ourselves hypocrite is that the simple act of confessing our hypocrisy can go a long way in building bridges. Long before this study was published, A small group of Christians experimented with being honest hypocrites in an unexpected place. It was the early 2000s on the campus of Reed College in Portland, Oregon, a school that's consistently ranked as the most secular college in the country. At the end of each school year, they had a big uh, campus-wide festival called Ren Fair, which is well known for its rampant drug use, and students stripping down completely naked and painting themselves blue from head to toe. And in the weeks leading up to this party at Reed, a small group of Christian students there sat around a table and wondered how they could possibly participate in this festival in a way that reflected their values as Christians. Soon one of them raised an idea. What if we built a confession booth and put it right in the middle of the festival. The friends debated whether or not this was a good idea. Would their fellow students be curious enough to make their way into the booth, or would this be seen as just another judgmental act of Christian hypocrisy? Then one of the friends, Tony, had an idea. He said, we're going to have a confession booth But here's the catch. We're not actually going to accept confessions. 
The friends stared at him, puzzled. And then he said, no, we are going to confess to them. They talked about it and they agreed to a plan. They built a confession booth from plywood and draped big curtains over each side and put candles inside to provide light in the darkness. And on the first night of the festival, that student Tony dressed in a big robe that looked like that of an ancient medieval priest, and he sat on one side of the confession booth waiting, his heart pounding and his stomach in knots. He didn't have to wait long until the first student wandered into the booth. They sat in awkward silence for a few moments before Tony said, Welcome to the confession booth. If it's okay, I'd like to start. And then he confessed. He said, I am a Christian. Would you please forgive us? Would you please forgive us for the Crusades? Will you please forgive us for the role that we played in slavery and racism? Forgive us for wars waged in God's name. And will you forgive us for the ways we communicate judgment, arrogance, and hatred every single day? Would you please forgive me? I claim to be a follower of Jesus, but my life looks nothing like his. Jesus stood for love, generosity, and care for others. Mine doesn't. I'm selfish, distracted, and dismissive all the time. So will you please forgive me? After Tony finished, another few long moments of silence passed, and then the student on the other side of the booth finally said, that is the most beautiful effing thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I forgive you. I forgive you for all of it. Over the weekend, dozens and dozens of students came into that booth Some people stayed for just a few minutes, others for half an hour, and many shared parts of their own stories with Tony and the other students, and every one of them granted their forgiveness. God calls the Israelites hypocrites because they are, and so are we. I am a hypocrite. I claim to be a Christian, and yet so often, on a daily basis, in fact, my actions don't reflect Jesus' teachings. I judge and I stereotype people. I throw away my food and my money when others need it desperately. I don't share what I have generously enough. I walk past people in need because I'm too busy. I isolate myself and ignore the problems of other people or communities believing that it's someone else's responsibility to care for them. So maybe, maybe the next time that one of my neighbors asks what I do, maybe I should say I'm a Christian and I try to follow Jesus. Most days I don't do such a good job, but I keep trying. 
Fairmounters, discipleship is waking up every day and aligning our priorities and our actions with God's will. And that's what our worship should do also, transform us, reorder our lives, align us again with God's will as we're sent back out into the world. But because we'll never be perfect, because we'll never model Christian love in every moment and to every person, let's at least be honest hypocrites, admitting to God and our neighbors that we don't live like the Christians we want to be, but that we'll never give up trying. And then, then our light will break out like the dawn. Then we will call and God will answer, I'm here. And then, perhaps then, more people will return to this place, to this church, to this hospital for hypocrites. Amen. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.